Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show, eight thirty-five. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely I mean, one of the predictions that we expected to come in I mean, for twenty twenty-three uh, and to be a tailwind for demand. Uh, but for large city urban areas, like they're still seeing some of the slowest demand growth across the country, and those markets are really highly dependent on international travelers. So. And it, it's really still a function of the strength of the dollar. And it's still, the dollar's still really strong. We had expected it to weaken some as we got towards the summer travel season. Uh, and, and that didn't happen. Welcome back, everyone. Every week, bringing you stories, how-tos, and the answers you need in order to make smart real estate decisions now in the current market and in the future markets. And today, we are taking over bigger news. So move aside, Dave Meyer, because it's me, Rob Abasolo, and my good friend, Tony Robinson. Tony, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Rob. It's always good when we get to share the mic together, man. You know, uh, our, our producers call this the power couple and I'm just going to, I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to embrace that title, man. Yeah. We got a good conversation teed up for today, Rob. We're talking to none other than Jamie Lane and, uh, Jamie's official title is SVP of analytics and he's the chief economist for AirDNA. And this guy is just like a, an encyclopedia of all things Airbnb. So every time we get to chat with them, I, I totally love it. Rob and I go over, what about those Airbnb bust rumors? Are they real? How did Jamie's predictions from when we interviewed him back on episode 712 hold up? And uh, what markets are on track for growth this year? Yeah, we're also going to be covering uh, how you can stay one step ahead and hack your growth in the ever-changing market. Look, a lot of stuff has changed since he came on the show back in January. And uh, he's just giving us good insights on really how to how to look at your overall short-term rental investment. And he talked about how investors should be looking at their investments in the long term, which makes a lot of sense. So even if you're not in the short-term rental game, I do want to say if you're a mid-term or a long-term rental investor, keep listening to get ahead of how new short-term rental regulations might impact your market. And we're also going to be talking about Jamie's predictions for the overall economy or potential recession and everything in between. But before we get into it, we're going to do a quick tip brought to you by our good friend, Tony Robinson. Oh, we are. Okay. All right. Quick tip number one, head over to biggerpockets.com. You know <laughs> yeah. Quick tip number one, head over to biggerpockets.com slash tools. You guys will find uh, an Airbnb or short-term rental calculator that's there. Uh, it's a free tool to help you figure out how much money your property could earn on Airbnb. And second quick tip, I want you guys all to go to Rob's upcoming event, HostCon. Rob, given the details, where can they go? How can they find out more about that? Wow. You can go to hostcon.com and it's October 28th through the 30th. It's right after BPCon. So I'm going to meet all of you there and then we'll migrate over to Houston, Texas to, uh, yeah, to hear from some, some, a lot of the people we've heard on the podcast, Pace Morby, Avery Carl would have been Tony, but you're having a baby, but it's all right. You'll catch the next one. Yeah. I'll be there in spirit. You will. You will. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. All right, well, let's get into it. Jamie Lane, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me back. You know, uh, you brought up last time, just like right before this, that uh, the last time you were on the show was actually Tony and I's first duo together on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Yeah, I was so happy that I would, could be the reason to bring you guys together. And, <laughs> and now we get to chat again. Right. It's been, what, Nine or 10 months since we chatted last. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, you know, we know you and it's great to have you back, but can you tell all the new listeners a little about yourself for, for those of uh, the listeners that didn't catch the episode about nine months ago? Yeah. So uh, I work at AirDNA. Uh, we are a short-term rental and data analytics company. Uh, I am the chief economist and SVP of analytics at AirDNA. And it's sort of my job to dig into the data and help interpret what's happening in our industry and make sure everyone sort of stays informed on uh, how the industry is performing, how do we expect it to perform going forward. So you guys can all plan your next investments, figure out your strategy, and uh, hopefully uh, make good investments going forward. Like I said, glad to have you back, man. I think the last time you sat down with us was the start of the year and the Airbnb bust rumors were flying and it was doom and gloom, sky is falling. You came in and you broke down the data on short-term rentals so our listeners could keep their edge. And I think we gave a lot of good, useful data for everybody. I think the market now is a little different and we'd love to have your insights again. So if it's cool with you, let's get into it and, and sort of talk about the actual, like the general pulse for the short-term market 
in 2023. Yeah. Uh, so when we talked last and we were calling for a recession in 2023, and I think I was a little bearish on the outlook for the year ahead. Uh, and we haven't had a recession. Uh, it's actually held up pretty strong uh, in on both the economy and the short-term rental industry. Uh, and it's part of the reasons why we actually talk about multiple scenarios when we forecast. Uh, so we have our, our baseline, we have our upside and downside. And so we had an, an upside forecast that essentially called for 13% demand growth. Uh, and it's ended up about 11%. And our baseline was below that about 9%. So, uh, I've actually felt really good of how the years played out. It's it's outperformed our expectations. Uh, the economy's outperformed our expectations. We're still at three and a half percent unemployment. We're adding 150, 200,000 jobs every month, uh, and that's sort of I mean, the key metric for me when I look at the economy is what's happening in the job market. Because if people have jobs, they're gonna keep traveling, uh, and. And that's what we've been seeing. So our outlook did call for some weakness this year. Uh, uh, as of the beginning of the year, we we're expecting RevPAR, that's revenue per available rental, to be a down about 1.5%. Uh, rates or ADRs up about uh, 1.5%. And that implicitly means occupancy was going to be down 3%. And that's what happened. I mean, that essentially has and perfectly pegged what the industry has performed, how the industry's performed uh, through October. Uh, so not great, given that I mean, everyone's earning a little bit less money this year, uh, but not a catastrophic uh, collapse in revenue. Uh, maybe some of the things we, we've been hearing on Twitter these past few months. <laughs> yeah, there was a very t viral tweet that was like, uh, Phoenix and Austin are, they're half down and something like that. Um, I, I believe you, you responded to it. And, and yeah, yeah, did, it, did you guys up. see that tweet? Did people oh, tweet it at you? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 All, all the naysayers and haters were like so quick to jump on that one. Yeah. We ended up doing a whole YouTube video as a response to that tweet also. So there, there was a lot of folks that were wild, riled up by that one. Um, well, let me ask you this, Jamie, because I believe and refresh me. I mean, and I don't, I don't expect you to remember exactly what happened back in January, but I thought there was some trend where maybe occupancy was down, but ADR, which is average daily rate was up. It was that, was that what it was uh, back in January? Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in January and that's continued throughout the year. Uh, so for the first I and mean, through August, so uh, back up, we break up the U.S. into in a lot of different markets. There's 265 markets uh, for the country. And of those 265, 218 of them have seen declining occupancies uh, through August. So that and essentially everywhere is seeing declines. Uh, nationally, we're seeing about a an essentially flat ADR. So no one is really increasing rates. But how that breaks out among the markets is just over half of them are seeing ADR declines or you're, you're not able to charge as much for the same property this year as you were last year. You're getting a little bit less revenue per night. Uh, and that's pushing and resulting in, uh, and weaker, weaker rev bar. So we're at the beginning of January. We're seeing slightly higher rates 
now rates have, have clearly gone into the flat to negative realm. Jamie, I, I want to just touch on something really quickly because there's a lot of debate, not just as real estate investors, but just as like people in the United States and really, I guess, across the globe about what exactly is a recession. And I just want to sidebar here quickly because I think it's an important thing to call out because you you have this consensus idea that a recession is two consecutive quarters of declining GDP, which has happened. But there's a more, you know, educate me and the rest of the listeners here, but there's a more formal education of what an actual recession is. Can you just like talk about the nuances? Like, why are we not already in a recession, even though we've had two quarters of declining GDP? Yeah. So the that two quarters of declining GDP, that's like a, a rule of thumb that people are sort of taught in, taught in high school, but it's not actually how we define recessions. Uh, and that's there's this whole economic board, uh, the um, uh, National Bureau of Economic Analysis, um, and they actually look at the data uh, and decide whether or not we're a recession or not. It's mostly like PhD economists. And the definition gets into that we have to see broad-based economic decline. And what we saw last year with the two consecutive quarters was not a broad-based economic decline. We saw some weird things happening with inventories uh, around the pandemic, uh, but and we're at record low unemployment. We're seeing 300,000 new jobs being added every month. Uh, we're seeing 5 6% increases in wages each month. We are in no ways in a recession. Uh, by really any different way you define it. There are certain aspects of the economy that might have been in recession, like manufacturing, uh, tech industry saw a really strong pullback and actually saw some layoffs. But uh, in terms of overall economic decline, we weren't there. And even in the real estate industry, I mean, with rising interest rates and sort of a pullback in transactions, we've seen quite a few real estate companies go under because of the lack of transactions. But it is in no way a sort of a broad-based economic decline. Interesting. So are you relatively uh, – do you have a POV, a point of view on what the next year or two looks like in terms of recession? Like do you think it's it's looming? Like is there something big coming up or do you think we're just going to like kind of – yeah, tell us everything. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, do you think we're going to kind of hold, hold, hold this pace? Well, because the, and Jamie, if I can just add one, one piece to that, right? Cause the, the goal of the Fed, what you keep hearing is that they want this quote unquote soft landing where they're able to tame inflation without causing massive unemployment. But I mean, there's like some things happening. You have student loans that are kicking back in October 1st. There's the, the strike that's going on. There's potential government shutdown. So like with all these things happening, I guess to Rob's point, like, do you think that soft landing is even possible still? Yeah, and it's still possible. Uh, it's still highly likely that we go into a recession over the next year. And it is, and with what the Feds had to do in terms of raising interest rates so high so quickly, and there's just such a high likelihood that something could break. And then you add on top of that all those things that you mentioned, the government shutdown, which and more than likely could happen. And we're recording here at the end of September and at the end of the week, the government could shut down that. Now, expectations are that that's a two or three week uh, shutdown. If it pushes through the end of the year, that could have a meaningful impact in overall economic um, output. To the short-term rental industry too, if you've got a rental in and around a national park, that national park is more than likely going to be shut down. Uh, and that could really impact the earnings uh, uh, through fall. So if you think 
Like you've got a property in Gatlinburg and the biggest driver to that market is people going uh, to visit the national park, seeing lease change, like, and that could, that could have an impact on that market. And then, and resuming student loan payments, sort of impacting consumer spending, the UAW strike, uh, uh, actor writer strike, uh, impacting specific markets like LA and Atlanta, like all these things have both direct impacts to the economy and our industry. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't really considered that. Um, but that's so true because national parks have always felt were sort of protected in the sense that I call them Mother Nature's Disneyland, right? Like you don't have to market the Smokies. You don't have to market Joshua Tree. You don't have to make a billboard for the Grand Canyon. People are going to go by the millions. But yes, if they shut down due to government regulation, that's going to hurt a lot of hosts. So uh, maybe that that changes some of the POVs on the government shutdown because I, I see both sides of it pretty much every single day at this point. Um, now that we have a, a general understanding of sort of where the economy stands, I sort of want to punch in a little bit and talk more on the municipal or even on the state level, because we're seeing a lot of regulations come in. I'm sure you've heard about Dallas and, and New York, all the big bands. And uh, that is definitely shaking up the short-term rental market for a lot of those operators. Which markets are being most impacted by regulations and what impacts are you seeing? Yeah. It, it's funny how that's now turned into that conversation that you have with your cab driver of like when you they ask you what you do. And and I, I say I like analyze the short term rental industry. They're like, ooh regulations must be really impacting you guys. Uh, and uh, it's true. Like the New York regulation has really sort of brought it into the forefront of essentially a de facto ban, ban on Airbnb. As the beginning of the month, when it started going into effect, uh, we saw almost an 80% decline in short-term rental listings in New York. And that was one of New one of Airbnb's biggest markets, essentially decimated. Now, the listings didn't leave. Like, they're not off of Airbnb. It's essentially people moving from a short-term rental strategy to a mid- to long-term rental strategy. So they've changed their minimum stay requirements from uh, short-term stays to 30 plus day night uh, stays or longer, uh, which we'll see how much demand there is to support that strategy for 17,000 listings, all moving to long-term stays at once. Uh, I suspect that there's quite a bit of demand to support it. And we see that in a lot of other cities, uh, but that is playing out. At, and we saw it play out or will play out in Dallas. Uh, we're seeing that change or a part of that change in Atlanta, uh, we've seen it in other large cities like Los Angeles, Boston, uh, Chicago that have put in into place pretty uh, onerous uh, laws um, going after short-term rentals. Uh, but on the flip side, there's also been significant pushback from the host community, uh, sort of uh, banding together, uh, working with the lo local mun municipalities. We saw that in Atlanta, essentially getting the ordinance going to affect delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Uh, we saw I mean, there was a lawsuit uh, on the Austin laws back in 2016 that just sort of came to fruition uh, where they overturned uh, the ban on short-term rentals uh, and I'm distinctly saying that there cannot be a distinction between uh, different kinds of homeowners and how they can use their property. This is a huge one. That, that was a big that was one. A I saw one. that that article came out because Austin has been, they, they've never really enforced it. Um, and there were ways to get the permits and everything, but 
Yeah, I saw an article, it was back at the beginning of August, that said federal court strikes down Austin's short-term rental laws and basically called them unconstitutional. And so it's interesting because it's like, if that's a federal court striking down an Austin one, I mean, how does that actually affect the rest of the country? Yeah, and even like you think about Dallas, right? Dallas just effectively banned single-family short-term rentals also, and now you have this neighboring major city. It's like, how does that impact Dallas's short-term exactly. rental ban and all these yeah, other same places? same state. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I'm curious, and Rob, I want to get your insights on this too, right? Because what, what I've shared with people is that regulations are coming. Like it, it's, it's a definitive thing. It's just how is each city and municipality going to, to choose to regulate short-term rentals, but they are coming. So my focus has always been on investing in true vacation markets where the primary economic driver is vacation and tourism, because I feel like there's a little bit more insulation there. And if you do choose to go into markets that are more residential, call them, you know, suburban cities, major metros, my thought has always been, if I'm going to go into that market, I need to make sure that either one of two things are true. Either first, I can still cash flow on this deal as either a midterm or a long-term rental. Or second, it should be a strategy that I can get out of relatively easily, which is like arbitrage or co-hosting. So like we're, we're actively, we're launching three units in Dallas next week, uh, through arbitrage, but I'm not worried about those because A, it's arbitrage, right? I can get out of those with the, you know, breaking the lease and, and walking away or B, I can flip them over to midterm and they still make sense. So, uh, Rob, what's like, what's your take on that, man? Like a lot of people are afraid of regulations. Like what, what's your advice to folks who want to navigate that the right way? Totally. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a lot to cover there. I think most of the time I'm trying to find a, a, a city or a municipality that has some level of regulations because at least they've had the conversation, right? And we know that they've already voted on it. And, you know, if there's a process like getting a permit that's been put in place, I usually feel a lot better than that, better about that than going to a place that's like, well, what is that? I don't know. You know, you can just list it. And <laughs> the then wild, wild one day it gets, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, that's how it was back, back when I started in like 2017 or whatever. Um, but I, I have really kind of accidentally stumbled onto the midterm market back like during the pandemic because everything shut down and then travel nurses needed to stay at my place in LA. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then they stayed and I never heard from them. They were mega clean and I made just about as much money as short terms. And so I kind of fell in love with that from the get go. Um, I would say most of the time you're going to do yourself a disservice if you're not trying to actively create a hybrid midterm rental and short term rental strategy. My my personal preference, and again, this isn't going to work in uh, vacation rental markets like Gatlinburg, but if I could mostly have a midterm rental strategy and fill in the gaps with short-term rentals, oh man, I would do that all day. Really what it is, it's, it's mostly a short-term rental and then midterm rentals come in and I have to work around that. So I honestly think that 2023, for any host that's scared of regulations, they're coming, but you really do have to actively be working on those contracts, you know, with uh, housing, housing uh, companies and relocation specialists and travel agencies, nursing, uh, you know, nursing relocation specialists, all that kind of stuff. You want to be working on those, on your rapport with them and your relationships with them so that, yeah, if a regulation hits, you don't have to shut down your business. You can just pivot straight into midterm rental. Jamie, one, one last follow up for me on the, on the regulation piece. As as some of these cities become more regulated, what do you think the impact will be on like actual property values of short-term rentals in those markets? Like, do you think that presents an opportunity for short-term rental hosts to to get into this game, or is it more of a, a disadvantage? Yeah, so there's actually been a lot of academic research on the impact on property values and what regulation and means for it. And 
And what a lot of it shows is that the option to be able to do short-term rentals is very valuable when you go to resell the home. So if you're in a neighborhood, let's say, that has an HOA that you vote as as your neighborhood to restrict short-term rentals in that neighborhood, you're going to severely restrict the value of homes in that in that neighborhood compared to the rest of the market because now future buyers know that they cannot sort of even if they never even thought about doing short-term rentals but the fact that they couldn't now sort of re- reduces the option value there that that they could d- go and do it in the future so i think that's one of the downstream implications of these laws going into effect is that you can sort of overall reduce home values in specific areas of cities and specific neighborhoods uh, with with uh, restrictions like that going into place. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I lock my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. As home prices and interest rates continue to rise and inventory levels dip, it's getting harder to find quality flips and wholesale deals. When there's not enough on-market inventory to go around, it's time to start looking off-market. Lucky for you, there are millions of homeowners nationwide who own a property they need to get off their hands. I got two words for you, my friend. PropStream it. PropStream is the leading real estate data provider and recognized as a Tech 100 honoree by Housing Wire for the fourth consecutive year. With PropStream, you can search over 155 million properties nationwide using 120 plus search filters like pre-foreclosure, bankruptcy, pre-probate, failed listings, and more to help you find motivated sellers in seconds. PropStream offers both public record data and an MLS sales estimate that's over 99% accurate to help you get the most accurate comps even in non-disclosure states. PropStream also provides lead automation, skip tracing, and a marketing suite with emails, postcards, and custom landing pages to close more deals efficiently. Get started today with their seven-day free trial and get 50 leads for free. Head on over to www.propstream.com BP. That's www.propstream.com BP. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. 
At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. And Rob, you know, you and I both were in the Smokies, we're in JT, and I can't imagine what would happen to home values in those two cities if they like severely limited short like the 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 economy I think would collapse, right? Like it would like that would be a forced wave of selling if they really limited short-term rentals in those markets. Big time. Interestingly, yeah, there's so many people in those markets that like want the short-term rentals out, but the mar- those specific markets, the economy is propped up by the short-term rentals, not just by occupancy taxes, transient taxes, all that stuff, but also like the actual employment of, you know, my, the Airbnb Avengers, right? Like pest control, uh, pool maintenance, cleaners, handyman, contractors, all of them make a significant portion of their livelihood from the short-term rentals side of things. So I don't know what would happen, but I hope to never find out. <laughs> I don't, we we actually did a uh, we did a uh, study um, looking at both short term rental and uh, hotel revenue for different markets, and Joshua Tree was uh, number three in terms of short term rental revenue compared to hotel revenue, where there's six times more revenue being generated by short term rentals in that market than hotels, and and it it just shows like a a market that is so dependent on tourism. And it's almost and six X and coming from short term rentals to the hotels. So if short term rentals went away, it would just decimate that market. Jamie, what was number one and two? Because you said Josh True was number three. Yeah. So number one was Broken Bow Lake, uh, a great market Oklahoma? in Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. And then number two was uh, Santa Rosa Rosemary Beach area. So thirty A in in Florida. Wow. Man, that's 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 super interesting. Um, so, th- okay, can we talk a little bit about international short-term rentals as well? Because I think the last time we had you on, the the hypothesis or the the thesis in general was that uh, the 
pandemic basically slowed down a ton of international traffic and we were going to start seeing the floodgates reopen and seeing a lot more international travelers coming to the U.S. How has that held up? Where are we at in that specific regard? Yeah, so I was totally wrong on that one. <laughs> Sorry, I wish I could have given you a softball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was definitely I mean, one of the predictions that we expected to come in, I mean, for 2023 uh, and to be a tailwind for demand. Uh, but for large city urban areas, like they're still seeing some of the slowest demand growth across the country. Uh, and those markets are really highly dependent on international travelers. So you think areas like uh, Miami, Boston, San Francisco, uh, even going out to Oahu, uh, as much as 40% of demand is coming from international travelers into those markets and staying in short-term, short-term rentals. Uh, so, and it, it's really still a function of the strength of the dollar. And it's still, the dollar is still really strong. We had expected it to weaken some as we got towards the summer travel season, uh, and th- and that didn't happen. Uh, we have seen overall international travel being really strong, uh, but it's just everyone leaving the U.S. Uh, and traveling within Europe. I mean, that makes sense. I, I, a lot of trips were canceled. A lot of marriages postponed. A lot of anniversary trips. I mean, just so much. I think this is sort of – it's going to be a, a trickle effect of people that – they, their lives carried on. They had kids. Everything is delayed. You know, th- I haven't traveled internationally really since the pandemic. I plan on going international as soon as I can, as soon as my kids are just a little older, because being on a plane with a uh, one and a two year old is, or a two and a three year old is very difficult. But, um, you know, I want to travel a lot internationally. So it does make sense that a lot of people in the U.S. are sort of going to these destinations or these dream vacations that they had to push pause on. Yep. And, and we're, we're actually seeing that impact now in the data where some weakness in demand and occupancy that we're seeing is those destinations that people were maybe going to because it was a domestic destination. Like I live in Atlanta, like everyone was driving down to 30A in 2020, 2021. Now, like they have friends, they're flying to Nice and Cannes and Greece and uh, they're not driving down to 30A anymore. And you're definitely seeing some weakness in that market because of that. Jamie, let me let me ask, right? So I, I don't own anything internationally, but do you think that this uh, kind of exodus of American travelers overseas presents an opportunity for folks stateside to look internationally? And if so, maybe what are, and I know the, you know, obviously the, the world's a big place, but if so, like what are some international markets that you feel are good spots for, for folks to get started in? Yeah, I, there, there's great options out there. It is a little bit more difficult to sort of navigate sort of deploying capital in different countries it's not like just buying a house in 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 North Carolina uh but the uh there are opportunities uh uh demand is now fully back uh, uh across Europe uh it's playing into different areas just like in the US where some cities are still I mean, really impacted negatively uh they're seeing even more regulation uh, than we're seeing in the US especially in some of those major cities so like in Amsterdam there's there's 80% fewer listings now than pre-pandemic. And a big piece of that is restrictions. So uh, uh, Dave Meyer is not uh, going to be getting a <laughs> short-term rental in Amsterdam, uh, though it is it, it is a great uh, location to travel to. Uh, so uh, there's all the same sort of dynamics you have to uh, work with in the U.S. of seasonality, uh, albeit more, some, more so. So uh, essentially all of Europe takes off August, 
there's some demand in July from Americans, uh, but it is very much a July and August dominated market where if you're not getting the majority of your revenue during those two months and you're not going to be profitable. It's like, it's like owning a short term rental in Maine or, or Cape Cod. It's like there's a very short season. Uh, you have to optimize for that short season. So it's a little different than some of the markets maybe we're used to investing in. Yeah. It's definitely a different territory. Tony, what, what's your appetite for? investing internationally is that something that you you want to do is that something you you dream to do absolutely man like I, I love costa rica uh sarah my wife she's like a mexican citizen so we always think about buying something in tulum or um, playa del carmen so i would love to go international but to your point jamie i just haven't like taken the time to really figure out the financing portion of it like how to make that piece work um but once i do i, I would love to do something out there just buy it all cash dude duh <laughs> <laughs> it, it, easier said than done, huh? Yeah, a lot of people ask me, and the, everyone always asks me with the hope of being like, I love it. Let's do it. And I'm always like, uh, I mean, it's hard enough to run a business in the US. I mean, long distance investing, you can build your dream team. I believe all that, but I have other places in the US that I, I would prefer to buy, anyways. I'll just rent Airbnbs if I ever want to travel. But that's really interesting you say that, Jamie, because it, yeah, I, I don't really think about the risks. I think, or not the risks, but the risks of regulation in the US. It's kind of hard to keep up with regulation in the U.S. because there's so many cities and counties and neighborhoods that restrict differently. You go to an entirely different set of countries and it's like, yeah, you don't really know what you're getting into unless you're doing a ton of, of research. So let's uh, let's segue a little bit here because we're, we're talking international. We talked economy. Um, we talked regulation in general. Now that's what we want to talk about uh, another component of the short-term rental market, and that's natural disasters and how they've impacted short-term rentals this year, because that's not something we really cover all that often on the show. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's, I think a growing and growing risk. Uh, we've seen it I mean, really explicitly in some certain destinations this year. So I, mean, and the flowers and fires in Maui were devastating. Uh, we saw it uh, uh, essentially wipe out entire towns. Uh, we've seen hurricanes over the past few years, uh, so we saw Cape Coral, Fort Myers last year, Sanibel Island, like, and really get uh, hit hard. We saw infrastructure being knocked out, the bridges there, where you couldn't even access your short-term rental if it if it even um, still existed. Uh, we saw I mean, more hurricanes hit Florida, I and mean, we're still in the middle of hurricane season, so I mean, no telling what's going to happen. Uh, you're seeing insurance rates continue to go up. So even if you have a short-term rental in these markets, like one – can you insure a new investment? And then secondarily, uh, is your existing investment, are you going to be able to continue to get insurance on it? Uh, so there's more and more risk happening. I mean, back through the years, we saw fires in Gatlinburg. Uh, we saw fires in Ta Tahoe. Uh, we've seen more wind events like uh, um, tornadoes sort of hit the Midwest, I think, than uh, any other recent year. Uh, so all sorts of uh, thing, I, my parents have four short-term rentals in Maine and they got impacted, uh, by the hurricane that came up there, uh, that caused, I think, uh, two weeks to essentially be canceled out because of, uh, guests didn't feel comfortable getting up there with the hurricane coming. So I, it, it definitely impacts different markets in different ways. And I think, I mean, most importantly for investors is getting a sense of the type of markets you're going in. What is that risk? And if you were going to be shut down for a month or two or and you think about I mean, people now avoiding traveling to Maui, even though most of the island is up and running, 
And there's still, and we saw, I think, 30% decline in occupancy in August. We're seeing another 20% through the first half of September. Uh, so even though the islands are telling people, tourists, please come, and people are avoiding that area just just because and, and any number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think perception is probably going to, I think whether or not it's okay to travel there, like I know that Hawaii was, was basically, the, the governor was like, please keep coming. But I think a lot of people in their head are probably like, oh, I'm not going to go. It's obviously everything is closed or, or whatever. So I think that'll probably be a lasting effect. Yeah. I, I, I want to transition, Jamie, if that's okay, um, to talk a little bit more just about like supply and demand. Um, you, you, you've mentioned before that supply has kind of slowed in terms of the rate of increase, right? Post pandemic, you saw a massive boom in the number of people that were listing their properties in Airbnb. Uh, and it seems like that slowed down a little bit. Demand though, seems to continue to be kind of growing at a, at a healthy pace as well. So we're, we're waiting for that balance between supply and demand. How do you, I guess, let me take a step back first. My, my first question is, how do you know if a market is quote unquote saturated? Like how do you know if a market has too many Airbnbs to support the demand in that market? What data points should I be looking at? Where inside of AirDNA can I even go to to see that? Yeah. And something I and saturation point is is all going to be around occupancy, right? So are there is there enough demand to support the listings that are out there in a profitable way? Uh so when I'm thinking about saturation and looking at both year-over-year change in occupancy. So is my is the market that I'm in sort of absorbing the uh, uh, supply that has come into that market? If it's absorbing it, we're going to see occupancy sort of maintaining or increasing. If it's not able to absorb it fully, and you're going to see occupancy decreasing. Now, one year of occupancy decreasing is not a market sort of an oversaturated Uh most properties take some time to ramp up and it takes time to get bookings. It takes time to and sort of figure out your niche in the market. Like I, do, I, I tend to not like to look at this on a very short term basis of like, Oh no, we saw one month of occupancy down four or five, 10%. Like this market's way oversaturated. Like you've got to be looking at it over, over time. So I do like to look at it on a sort of 12 month average. Uh, and then. Uh, also looking at it relative to prior years. So 2018, 2019 is indexing off the high of 2021. I think we talked about this last time, um, is not fair. Uh, and maybe if you underwrote it in 2021 and had the ex expectations that it would continue, like that's a different conversation. But in terms of market saturation, like there's a lot of demand coming into this industry. Uh, there's a lot more listings that need to be able to come in to support the growing demand. And I'd argue that very few markets are actually oversaturated. It might take one or two years uh, of slow supply growth, which we're seeing now, for that supply to get fully absorbed. But if you're investing for a five, 10-year hold, like just because there's sort of a weak patch in occupancy today doesn't mean that that's going to not be a great investment long term. Well, that's interesting. I I feel like most of the short term rental peeps like we sort of, you know, we expect it to kind of hit when we list. Right. So is is the case that, you know, I would say, I guess, underwrite conservatively and expect growth from there, because it does seem like if if you're telling someone, hey, yeah, get into the short term rental, but it's going to take you two to three years to really start you know, hitting good revenue, 
that's that's an interesting conversation to have because I think a lot of people just wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, when I'm uh, when I'm helping people underwrite properties, I I de- I maybe no, don't do a three year ramp, but I definitely do a two year ramp. That it's going to take you one year to figure out your market, to figure out uh, to get good reviews. Reviews definitely help get bookings, and it's going to take you a few months, six months, to get a bunch of good reviews, so you can start sort of raising rates and really I. Profit maximizing that property. And, and I came from the hotel industry, uh, 10 years helping people underwrite hotel investments. And there we typically did a three year ramp of getting occupancy from when you sort of first open the property to when you're going to stabilize that in terms of occupancy. Cause it, it does take time, uh, to sort of grow into that market. That makes sense. I mean, our Scottsdale property, we bought one and it did, it, it opened up a little slower than we had thought. A year in, everything is up pretty considerably. I don't, I mean, the reviews I'm sure have helped. We've also added amenities like a pickleball court and that pickleball court has increased revenues by like, I don't know, 60 to 80,000 at this point. So it's paid for itself like two or three times at this point. So I think the, it's the profit maximizing that you're talking about. That, that's really the thing that I'm focusing on with my current portfolio where a lot of people keep asking themselves, how do I get into my next property? after they've purchased one. And what I'm trying to steer people towards is instead of trying to get into your next property, how can you maximize the revenue of the current property that you have or the portfolio that you have? Because if you can invest, you know, let's say $20,000 back into your property and increase your revenue by 10,000 bucks, that's a 50% ROI. That's so much better than what you could get if you just go and buy a new property. So this year, I'm trying to still buy just because I... I'd like to consistently purchase, but really I'm putting a large majority of my capital back into my portfolio, which gets me a little impatient because all I want to do is buy. But I do think there is a case to be made for for reinvesting back into the property. Tony, have you guys gone in and ever optimized a property with amenities or have you added anything after the fact? Absolutely, man. Like we we're actually I'm going to Joshua Tree on Thursday uh, because our newest listing, we're adding like a really cool in-ground pool with like a rock slide and just really trying to beef up the amenities because I feel like we're we're at a space right now where because so many new hosts have come onto the platform, the the table stakes have increased, right? And and what it takes to be a good listing today is significantly higher than what it took to be a good listing in 2019, 2020, even 2021. So we've, like you said, Rob, like we haven't purchased a ton this year, but we've been going back to our entire portfolio, adding new game rooms, adding the pools, adding hot tubs, adding whatever we can to make those listings stand out. And it's crazy, man. We're, we're seeing, like I have three properties in 29 Palms, which is the city adjacent to Joshua Tree. And the one property where we invested a lot into like the game room is doing 3x the monthly revenue of the other two properties that don't, which is crazy. And it's the smallest one. So it, it really just goes to prove the point that reinvesting into your current properties might be a better investment, like you said, Rob. Definitely. Wait, what was the amenity that you said you added to the 29 Palm ones? Uh, it was just a really cool game room. We've got a, a really cool game room as an extension of the of the house. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I built a... Epic Treehouse deck at my Gatlinburg property. I built a mini golf course in my backyard in Crystal Beach. I did a pickleball in Scottsdale. I'm adding a pickleball court to a property in Austin, Texas right now. I'm adding, I'm probably going to add pickleball to my, my tiny house in Joshua trees. So for me, it's, uh, again, it, it does suck to kind of not be buying, but I do think 
it is a lot. It's going to, it's going to be a much better return for me overall. So, um, so with that, Jamie, can you just tell us a little bit? I mean, since we're kind of talking about Joshua Tree, how have established tourist markets fared this year? Are they holding strong? Has it been pretty consistent compared to some of the other areas out there, like a metropolitan area? Yeah. So, uh, there's definitely more weakness there uh, in some of the established destination markets. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to sort of do and sort of an exercise where we like walk through what we were seeing in one of the markets. And I actually pulled out uh, Gatlinburg uh, Pigeon Forge area uh, just to give you a sense of it was also one of the ones sort of called out in that sort of doom tweet uh, by the doom squad of like and uh, revenues dropping 40 percent. Um so like in the Gallenberg Pigeon Ford market, year over year, we're showing uh, RevPAR uh, down about 7.5%. But that, and these markets, especially market like Gallenberg, where supply is growing 20%, you have churn, listings leaving, like it's really hard to get a sense of like, what is the average host actually increasing or decreasing the revenue? So we sort of and, um, took it down further. So there's 23,000 listings with at least one night sold in Gallenberg over the past year. Twelve, only 12,000 of those were available full-time. So 270 nights of the year. And then only 7,500 of those were available both full-time this year and last year. So a small subset of the 23,000 listings out there. And when we look at just those 7,500, overall RevPAR was down about uh, 9%. Uh, and it was down most at the budget and luxury end. Um, uh, so the middle tiers were sort of uh, held up the best. And what I thought was really interesting was for individual hosts, so those with just like one to five properties, RevPAR was only down 7%, where the large property managers in that market saw a 13% decline in RevPAR. Interesting. Why do you why do you think that is, Jamie? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. So I had that same question. Uh, so... Large property managers did such a better job of increasing occupancy in 2021 and 2022 and raising rates. Uh, and now they're seeing bigger declines. But if you look at what they're earning relative to 2019, they're still well outpacing individual hosts. So it tells me that most of those individual hosts are not using revenue management software. They're, they weren't able and didn't push rates when the times are good. Now they're not seeing as much declines when the times aren't as good, but they're still not earning mu as much as some of the larger PMs are in that market. Yeah. And Jamie, you, you hit on a, a really interesting point because I've, I've kind of in my heart felt that that was part of what's driving some of the decreases is that because so many of these hosts are new and they're not leveraging dynamic pricing tools and they don't understand like what their average booking window is in their market. Like if they're not fully booked out, you know, every 30 days, they're just like dramatically dropping their prices. And, and, and now it's impacting the entire market because now you have guests that are able to choose, you know, a $60 listing that's brand new versus the more mature host is charging a hundred bucks per night. So like I'm literally launching a property management company right now because I feel that there are so many hosts that don't know what they're doing that overall they're pulling down the revenue potential for the market. So that's why Rob and I are both so focused on educating people about how to do this the right way, because if more people understand the basics of dynamic pricing, how to do it the do it correctly, then as a as a host community, we all end up winning. 
That's it's always so annoying, dude, when you're comping out a property in like a place like Gatlinburg and you're looking at the neighborhood and this person has this insane twenty thousand square foot place with like a helicopter pad and it's like seventy dollars <laughs> and it's like, What are you doing, man? <laughs> what are you doing? You're ruining this for us. Well, uh, Jamie, I want to ask you one last question before we start to wrap things up here. And for all of our listeners that are thinking of buying that first Airbnb, that first short-term rental right now at the tail end of 2023, what would your advice be to that person? Uh, <laughs> uh, be, uh, one, it's uh, make sure you're leveraging data to find the right market to invest in. Um, I sort of, I, I don't love the sort of old adage of like, and invest in a market that you know that you grew up going to like find markets that make sense to invest in because they may not be the right market I mean, it might not have been in the same market as a year ago two years ago and the sort of cost basis of investing in homes right now has shifted dramatically uh over the past five years uh and then the opportunity to grow revenues in these different markets has has sort of shifted dramatically and then I and mean, so one I do a lot of research on finding the market. And then I think some of the conversations we've had on amenities are going to be really important for the type of property you can invest in going forward is don't just look for current cash flow. Look for that property that you can actually evolve uh, and uh, sort of grow into a good long-term investment. I try to help people think longer term, like five to 10 years on that investment. Like Tony, that property you're going to in Joshua Tree, like if you didn't have the ability to put in that in-ground pool, like that would totally change that investment thesis for that property, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, man. So for people that, you know, if you, if you could give some advice on where people could find some of these markets, right? If I, I agree, like going to a place where you grew up, not necessarily. I, I do like the familiar familiarity oh gosh let's not try this on air familiarity <laughs> how familiar it is how about that how about that <laughs> yeah, how familiar hmm hmm uh yeah how familiar it is should not necessarily be the driver for why you buy it i think that's a way you can do it but finding good markets that work i think that's what you're saying how can people find some of these good markets yeah so uh Thanks for the tee up. Uh, we just re-released AirDNA uh, this past month. Uh, and one of the tools is all around market discovery. Uh, so you can I mean, look at a list of uh, all markets across the U.S., filter down to the type of investment you're looking in. So if you're looking for in one bedroom, unique listings, um, you want to go in on the luxury tier, like and you want to find markets with the highest occupancy, highest ADRs, uh, highest investability, uh, we now give you that ability to dig, filter in, uh, find the right comps, uh, rank markets against each other, and where you can find those sort of hidden gem markets. Uh, we actually did a, a piece recently where we sort of talked about hidden gem markets, maybe I'm low percent of property managers, uh, uh, relatively small markets, like 100 to 500 listings, where you could go in and really sort of dominate that market uh, by running a property well. Uh, and all that can now be done with the new tools. So you can really customize it, find markets that really sort of fit your investment strategy, uh, your risk tolerance, 
and uh, the type of market, sort of mountain, coastal, urban, uh, suburban, uh, and find those type of cities, uh, find those good investment opportunities. Well, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. For for people that don't have familiarity into how to find you yep. on the internet. See, I knew I could say it. I knew I just had to think it through a little bit. How can people find you and connect with you? Yeah, so um, I'm active on Twitter, uh, Jamie underscore Lane on LinkedIn. Uh, and at AirDNA, I host a podcast called the STR Data Lab, uh, where we talk about uh, data and interview uh, professional managers, hosts on the data that they use to run their business. Super cool, man. Well, maybe uh, maybe Tony and I can be guests one day. The, the, the power duo, the power couple here in the short-term rental uh, market. Um, well, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, man. I, I do love getting into this and talking about the data with you. I think this makes me feel really good, honestly, just being armed with the proper data. So we appreciate you coming in and and uh, speaking some of these these truth bombs. Uh, Tony, for anyone that wants to reach out or connect with you, how can they find you online? Yeah. First, uh, Real Estate Rookie Podcast. We put out episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Uh, and then personally, you guys can find me on Instagram at Tony J. Robinson. And if you're on YouTube at The Real Estate Robinsons. Dang. All right, man. That was like three of them. All right. Well, what I'll do, I'll do four. Uh, you can find me on uh, uh, YouTube at RawBuilt, on Instagram at RawBuilt, on MySpace at RawBuilt, and TikTok on RawBuilt. How about that? Uh, well, thank you so much, Jamie. We appreciate it. Tony, thanks thanks for doing this with me, man. It's always fun to share the mic with you. And uh, for everyone at home, if you like this episode, if this inspired you, if this make you feel better, feel free to go and leave us a review on the Apple Podcast platform or wherever you download your, your podcasts. Uh, this is Rob Abasolo. I'm not going to do the David thing because I know I'll mess it up. But uh, thanks, everyone. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.